Commencement, the beginning of a new era in higher education by Kate Colbert and Joe Salustio with contributions by Elvin Freitas is now available for pre-order on Amazon. Get your Kindle edition or your softbound book. It's going to be amazing. If you're someone who's passionate about transforming education, which you are if you're listening to this podcast, you should check out the Charles Koch Foundation. The Charles Koch Foundation supports social entrepreneurs and organizations that are embracing innovation to build better solutions for today's learners. Visit ckf.org to learn more. Welcome back, everybody. It's your time to add up on the Edup Experience podcast, where we make education your business. Dr. Joe Salustio, back with you again in another episode uh, as we continue to interview uh, the brightest and most influential minds in higher education. Uh, we just want to thank you again and again for coming back on this journey with us. We know uh, so many of you who have written reviews for us, um, given us five stars on Apple uh, podcasts. Those things matter and uh, get the podcast uh, out to more people. So we really appreciate when you do those things. Uh, we're counting down the days until the book is released, commencement, the beginning of a new era in higher education. Uh, but I'm not going to go into too much detail today because I've got a great guest co-host back with me again. You know him by this sound. He's the guru of online learning, ladies and gentlemen. He's Dr. Bill Pepicello. Bill, what's going on? Hey, how are you doing, Joe? Good to be with you again today. Uh, see if I can uh, help you uh, salvage this podcast. Oh, I don't know about that, Bill. I'm surprised you salvaged yourself out of Norway. Yeah, well, I'm surprised you just didn't disappear into the great unknown. Well, you know, those, some of those fjords are pretty deep. Yeah, so Bill was on uh, a sabbatical, I suppose, for a month, just decided to go to Norway. Uh, but uh, that's what happens when you were the president of an institution that at one time had over half a million students, Bill, because uh, you had gray hairs and you just did it for so long. You said, I'm hanging it up and you went to Norway. Yeah, until you dragged me back into this stuff. So, Well, you know what? Uh, you never met a microphone you didn't like, Bill, but that's great because you have your own podcast, Edup Insights with Dr. Bill Pepicello. And how's that going? That's going great. We uh, are into our third season now and um, rapidly approaching around 50 episodes uh, that are out there for people who want to look at it at EdUp Insights. Oh, yeah. You can hear Bill pontificate, as it were, on EdUp Insights and uh, hear all about a little bit of inside, even more inside baseball than here on this podcast, because he goes really deep into some subjects that I think are at the heart of uh, higher education and higher education change. And you get his opinion on things. One person that's going to give us her opinion today is my guest. Uh, we, I had to uh, reschedule on her because I had, I think I had a sick kid. So, you know, we had to prioritize, but she's been so nice. Um, and she's coming back here. She is ladies and gentlemen, she's Maria Flynn. She's president and CEO of jobs for the future. Maria, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me, Joe. Well, we're, we're, see we're, you, Bill. Yeah, we're excited to have you. Uh, very excited because kind of like jobs for the future. It's kind of says that this is an important topic, right? Just the name of the organization says this is an important topic. So why don't you level set for us, talk about jobs for the future. What do you guys do and how do you do it? Great, yeah. So we have been uh, jobs for the future for almost 40 years. Um, we are all about driving equitable economic advancement for all. So we do that by 
working to transform the US education and workforce systems. And the way we do our work is we focus on designing new models. We scale models that have strong evidence base. We work to influence whether that's policymakers or corporate leaders, and we also invest. And so that is both through our investment arm called JFF Ventures, where we invest in mission aligned startups. And we also do um, a good amount of regranting to state and community partners as part of our initiatives. So we run initiatives on behalf of philanthropy, corporations, and government. Can you give us an example of an initiative comes to mind to, to so the audience goes, okay, what are you talking about here when you say initiatives? Give us an example of one sure. recent past, doesn't yep. matter. To, it'll yep. set the tone for how we move the podcast forward here. Yeah, absolutely. So a new effort that we have is called the Center for Justice and Economic Advancement. And this is an effort that we launched last year with support of Blue Meridian Partners and other funders to really look at how to enhance um, the career trajectories and economic prosperity of individuals who have had um, impact that have been impacted by the justice system. So both formerly incarcerated individuals or focus or individuals with criminal records in general. So really working both on the supply side in terms of what education and training opportunities are there for these individuals, as well as on the demand side in terms of how to work with employers to embrace fair chance hiring policies. What, uh, let me just kind of step back a minute, because when you talk about policy and influence and initiatives, has, has this changed over the last 40 years? Have you seen, you know, how's the evolution of the initiative focus changed? Because, you know, you look at higher ed degree, 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 and now it's non-degree alternative pathway, credentialing stackables. Does that flex how you move through your initiative priorities? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I think that there has been like a constant kind of evolution of um, priorities, both kind of at the federal and state policy level and within corporate America, and within philanthropy over the past couple of decades. So I, before coming to JFF, I was with the U.S. Department of Labor for the first half of my career. And I think some of the trends that were seeing to continue to kind of um, expand are around like leadership coming out of the corporate sector, employers that are really taking on more of a role in training and advancing their workers. Um, I think we're seeing a continued focus on racial equity and the importance of looking at historically underserved populations and communities like in the course of um, our work. And as you mentioned, I think we're continuing to see an uh, increased like, amount of attention coming to high quality alternatives to four-year degrees. So I think that, um, I think all of these we're going to continue to see emerge, like even if we do you know, move into a period of recession, I think that those are three things that um, personally, I just don't think we're going to see like a, a turnaround from. I think those are going to continue to be key themes in the field. Bill, over to you. Oh, thanks. Well, I, uh, I agree with you. I don't think a lot of that stuff is going to turn around. Um, 
and while I wasn't in the labor department, I served on NASIKI for um, a number of years, which is the advisory committee uh, to the Department of Ed. And I have been watching, although I'm not a member now, I have been watching those trends. But as I look at, at, at what Jobs for the Future is doing, I mean, it's, it's like a menu of everything I would want to do if I could have a wish list of things to, to impact um, the job market from education. So I just, to, and this is for your edification, Joe, since I know that you don't have much time, you don't read much and don't retain that anyway. Um, but you look at jobs uh, for the future, uh, creating opportunities, I think is important. Strengthening the education and career navigation for, for people. You know, ensuring program quality, integrating learning and work, building regional economies, which I think is is very, very important today. Um, and, you know, you're in, involved in all of the aspects of that, designing it, figuring out how to scale it, and doing the political influence. I mean, it's it's the whole range of things that I think are are essential for uh, for education to be uh, helping the, the workforce move forward. And yes, there, there's a question in there. Um, You're going to get to it, right, Bill? I am. Uh, what I'm uh, one of my my interests, having been uh, with the University of Phoenix, of course, is is adult students. Mm -hmm. And while um, some of that is falling by the way, I uh, at least at the at the university level, I see community colleges being really the, uh, the driving force for that. Could you talk a little bit about your work with community colleges, since I think that's really, um, you know, at the heart of alternative pathways today? Whew, we got a, we, that was a long one, Bill. That was a long, <laughs> long question. Maria probably forgot about it. Don't take it personally. It's just my job. Okay, go ahead, Maria. <laughs> so first, I appreciate Bill. Like, um, so those five um, priorities that Bill just mentioned, those are JFF strategic priority areas for the next you know, year uh, or two moving forward, because we really feel that given the complexity of the learning to work ecosystem right now, it's really important that JFF be kind of focused on these issues of quality and navigation and regional economies and um, the others that Bill mentioned. Also agree with the point that community colleges have a key role to play kind of in this equation at this moment, particularly around kind of reskilling and upskilling of adult learners. So JFF has been involved um, you know, in a number of initiatives over the years, um, funded by the Gates Foundation, uh, federal government and others really helping to make community colleges do a few things. Like one, um, to focus on uh, strong labor market connections. So how can we build solutions that really enable community colleges to keep up with the changing skill demands that uh, they're seeing within their regional economies? And then the second is to help community colleges really determine how to best partner with some of the new models or the innovations that we're seeing coming into the market, whether they be driven by you know, an entrepreneur who has a mission-aligned startup, or, you know, for example, some work that we're doing with Google right now around uh, the deployment and the scaling of the use of their IT support certificates. So in that instance, JFF is really serving as the 
intermediary between Google and the community colleges to help get this resource from Google into the hands of community colleges and really helping them determine how best to embed these certificates in their IT pathways and other program offerings. So I think our overall position is that uh, community colleges are a critical player and that um, in order for them to continue to kind of meet the demand, we have to help them continue to innovate and transform along with you know, everything else that's evolving and transforming uh, within the regional economy. Amazing. One follow-up and then I'll throw it back to you, Joel. And this one will be shorter, I, I promise. Please. Um, in, in looking to connect education with, uh, with the workforce, do you think that employer education programs are gonna become players um, in the ecosystem? Absolutely, I do. I think that we are you know, seeing a, a growth in that. I think a big player kind of in that growth is field education. Um, out of Denver, you know, which provides employers, you know, a platform uh, where they can provide tuition-free um, education to their employees. So I think Guild, you know, and others in that space, whether it be, you know, Instride or, um, you know, others that are out there really help get to scale. Um, and I think, you know, really leveraging the um, federal tax incentives, the 5250 uh, credit and for, for others, for example. I also think we're seeing uh, increase in employer action because uh, employers in some communities are seeing that community colleges and other training providers in their area aren't keeping pace, right? So I think that mm -hmm. um, to my earlier point, if we don't help community colleges continue to innovate, I think we're gonna see employers continue to kind of build workaround solutions. So, um, but I think it's it's terrific. And I think that compared to 10 or 20 years ago, we're seeing much higher levels of investment in frontline workers um, than we did previously. You know, previously we would see most um, corporate training dollars, vast majority going to support executive level. And I think we're seeing to, starting to see those um, trends even out a bit. Maria, you know, and you taught, that's really important what you said. And I think I want to just kind of look at the broader context. It's great to have organizations like Guild, kind of the education broker, as it were, say, hey, company, we're going to pair you with educational institutions and be the middleman or woman, so to speak, to pair you up together. But there's so many learners adult or otherwise that aren't in that ecosystem. And one of the things that you talked about in one of the blogs you did recently, and I agree, is that there are so many different options for upskilling or reskilling or education or post-secondary education versus higher education. What do you call it? What's has value? What doesn't? Higher ed does have value or it doesn't have value. And this pathway of this non-credit credential does have value if it's non-credit bearing or do you need it credit bearing? And there's just a lot of confusion. You know, yeah. you think about, yeah, how do you even take all of the options and put them into a context that somebody will understand? Yeah. You know, it's like Google certificates, that's pretty, e you know, one thing Google has is this multi-trillion dollar brand. And so they can put their name on it and you go, oh, that, I think that has value because I know Google and it's, but then there are other brands that might have something of value that don't have that power of brand and they've got to get into the game. So there's just so much for a learner to, I don't know, deduce from all of that. Right. What is the, 
What's your uh, thoughts around that? Because, you know, we, we are confused even just interviewing people on this podcast half the time, or at least Bill is. <laughs> yeah, I'm confused by that um, question. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I think there's a huge amount of confusion. Um, Credential Engine issued a report a few years ago that said there's over a million different credentials that are available in the US. And yeah, we interviewed Scott Cheney. He was the our episode that just came out today, actually, I think. Okay. Yeah. So he knows that very well, obviously. Um, I think like as a nation, like one of our biggest issues is that we don't have a comprehensive, like equitable career and education navigation system. You know, I think it is extremely difficult for, you know, anyone, if you're a young person, if you're an adult looking to get reskilled, if you're a parent trying to help your uh, child make good decisions, it is really hard to know where to go. Um, my oldest daughter went through the college application process last year. And so it was, you know, I think even though I've been working on this for 30 years, I think I doubled down on my concern having gone through the process as a consumer. Um, the lack of transparency, you know, the Yikes. lack of really um, customer like friendly uh, decision making tools, uh, really concerning. So, one of the ways that JFF is working to uh, deal with this is we acquired recently a small nonprofit called EQUOS, which stands for Education Quality Outcome Standards. And we're going to be working with partners in the field and um, programs in our network to really work to embrace a set of quality standards for um, these shorter term credentials. Because I think if we as a field can start to, you know, kind of walk in unison around these things, it'll help um, on a couple levels. One, I think it would help move Congress to enacting legislation that would allow Pell Grants to be used for high quality short-term credentials. I think the quality question there has been a big holdup in that legislative process. I also think, you know, it can be the foundation of a more equitable and transparent navigation system that I think would um, deeply help uh, populations across the board. Too many learners are being left behind by the current one-size-fits-all model of education. We here at EdUp and our friends at the Charles Koch Foundation see a better path forward. The Charles Koch Foundation supports innovators in education who are building and scaling new pathways to allow all learners to discover their potential. By changing the way we think about education, we can unlock opportunities for millions more Americans. To learn more about the Charles Koch Foundation support of individualized education, visit ckf.org. Yeah, it's interesting because Bill and I have talked a lot about this and, you know, for, for now the last couple of years, we particularly had so many conversations around credentialing or stacking or uh, you, you, you know, all the terms that go with it. Part of my argument has always been structure. And one thing higher ed has over hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years is structure. And when people would say, you know, would come on and say, well, you know, this credential is a threat to higher ed. That's only if there's some structure around that credential where it could be, you know, uh, all numbers are relative or all value has to be relative to each other. And that's what I think has been the struggle. And then higher ed comes with this structure and kind of starts enveloping things slowly like this behemoth, this sloth. Um, the, you know, I mean, it's truly 
And then you see Hired now partnering with different credentials to give them the, the the quality standard, as it were. And I do quote unquote for you know who you know if somebody just goes, well, that's not true. No, I'm quoting. Um, you know, so there's there's this I don't know dichotomy be, between you know how higher ed can be in this space to give it some legitimacy, or is this space legitimate on its own? And then you see, you know, it's, and this is a long question, Bill. Before you comment, um, what we, I was interviewing the um, founder of Grow with Google last mm -hmm. week or week before. It hasn't come out yet. This is the second time you've interviewed her, but she said from the first time we interviewed her a couple of years ago to now, one of the fastest growing segments of people taking Google career certificates are those with a four-year liberal arts degree. We're just coming back to get some kind of tactical credential because their degree is, you know, arts and so on. And so she was saying that was unexpected. So anyway, you know, is higher ed legitimizing the credentialing space or does it operate, you think it has the merit to operate on, on its own? Yeah, ideally, I like for it to be a bit of both. I do think that um, these kind of innovative partnerships are one thing that's really going to help us kind of get to the scale that I think we need. So part of that is, I guess, as you said, like the legitimizing of some of this by, you know, some co-branding. And I saw uh, Google's announcement a week or so ago about their expansion into the four-year space in terms of these um, certificates, which I think is great. I think that, um, but I think there needs to be a bit of both. Like, I also think that it's important that uh, kind of the short-term credential movement also have the ability to stand on its own, right? But I also, and then looking to see how best to create some of these um, partnerships. Like, I think Western Governors University, for example, is doing some interesting work, like, really starting to blend together some of these um, options in terms of their degree programs and their shorter term uh, offerings. So I think there's a lot uh, that we can learn around what's being kind of piloted now and how to expand that. And, and at the end of the day, how to make it clear to students or prospective students, like what's the best pathway for them. You know what triggered this for me, Bill? Back to you in a sec. But when I came across this class, How to Podcast, basically Podcasting 101 by Dr. Bill Pepicello, and I was like, What the heck is going on? So that was what, for me, what brought that question on. Bill, over to you. First of what all, you know that. What the heck is that, going on? That is not true. Um, my, uh, you know, my publication will be How to Save Podcasts when, uh, when the original podcaster is struggling. What? Um, yeah. <laughs> I, what Joe was was going on and on about was um, was encapsulated in a phrase I saw on your website, Maria, and it really grabbed me. Uh, and the phrase is education stagnation, because I think that is part of uh, of the problem in higher ed. Uh, places like Western Governors certainly are, are trying to address that. Um, and there are certain trends that are coming back now, and I'd like to get your take on one of them, and that's competency-based education. Mm -hmm. we, uh, we worked on that at University of Phoenix in the, in the late 80s and in 1990s, perhaps before you were born, I know, Joe. I thought you were going to say 1880s, Bill. Oh, well, that too. And we were reviled for it. And, and now suddenly it's, uh, it's reviving. And I think a lot of it has to do with, uh, with credentialing, which is less concerned with checking boxes than it is with uh, demonstrating skills. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I think that competency-based ed is, you know, a trend worth watching. It's an issue that uh, the JFF team works on um, with a few states and other kind of leading partners. There's a great um, organization out there called CBEN, which is you know the competency-based education network, which is which is worth um, kind of following. Because I do think that at a time where people are um, really looking to see how can I get my next credential quickly, right? Like they don't want to kind of step out of the labor market for a period of time to kind of get their education. They're looking for fast, high quality solutions. And I think a competency-based approach is a great way of looking at that. You know, and I know like um, Capella University is a, uh, a for-profit example of the university. I think that's really grounded in that. But we're seeing, you know, a lot of progress being made within community college systems as well. And in that regard, could you um, give us a little bit more insight? Uh, because all of this starts with access. And mm -hmm. you know, what you know, uh, what sorts of initiatives do you have in in that area? Yeah, so we um, are doing quite a bit within kind of the high school space to really help develop stronger pathways between high school, post-secondary education and career. Um, one network that we have that's been around uh, for 10 years and celebrating the anniversary this year is the Pathways to Prosperity Network, um, which is all about kind of the redesign of, you know, roughly the grade, like grades 11, 12, and then the first two years of college. So really looking at how to um, revamp those opportunities, bring in strong employer engagement, engage the community colleges in those efforts and so on. Um, but we also have, you know, a, a pretty like provocative new idea called the big blur, which really calls for like a total reimagining of those grades. So almost, um, you know, uh, doing away with the system that exists and creating kind of a new system or entity that would focus solely on kind of those critical four years. And so that is an idea that we're starting to um, pilot in a couple of states because we just really think that we need to fundamentally, you know, reimagine kind of what is that um, pathway beyond high school for, for young people and how to kind of move beyond that like traditional mindset of, you know, first you go to high school and then you go to a um, four-year college and so forth because we know that for the vast majority of um, Americans that actually isn't the path that they take, um, and it's not the path that uh, jobs really require. Yeah, I have a, I'm now I'll throw it back to you, uh, Joe, because uh, I know you're anxious to uh, pontificate. I'm always but anxious. I, I think this is an amazing um, point about restructuring what happens in high school. Uh, one of my, my mantras, um, and Joe's heard me say this, and he's read me having written it, is I believe that form follows function. Um, and as the function of uh, high school in those first two years uh, has changed, uh, I think we're gonna have to see the form of that education, that part of the education system change. And that's exactly what you're talking about. I think that is, that is just yeah. so important. Yeah, um, we also had a, 
survey come out recently that uh, where we surveyed both Gen Z learners and workers and employers and asked them about kind of their kind of interest in exploring options beyond the four-year degree. And the report that we uh, came out with is called Degrees of Risk because the headline really was that at the end of the day, both the Gen Z population and the employers felt that some of these non-traditional options were too risky. So they generally were aware of what they were, you know, there's apprenticeships and there's boot camps and there's, you know, X, Y, and Z, but a feeling that, you know, there was too much risk involved. So that was both in terms of young people feeling that if they went down that path, they may not get hired. And there was a, you know, kind of feeling among the side of the employers, well, we know what we're getting with the four-year degree. We don't quite know what skills we're getting with some of these other approaches. So I thought it was interesting because it shows that, you know, there's a lot of alternatives out there, but we have to do a better job of talking about quality, talking about options and some of those other things that we've already um, touched on. Yeah, that's a good point. I like your, uh, boy, I'm going to lose it now. The Center for uh, Workplace Le Learning and Apprenticeships. Did I get that right? Yep. Yes. Yeah. Yep. I mean, that's, that's right. It, workplace apprenticeships have been around since when? Since blacksmiths or you know yeah. so, I, I mean yep. Ben Franklin, yep. <laughs> yeah so uh, they've been around since bill was in his prime now sorry bill had to <laughs> had to do it uh, but they've been around for a really long time and and i think that's you know you wonder how many then we talk about the traditional student the 18 year old that goes to college has no idea what they're going to do goes to gen eds for a year drops out because at 18 did did any of us go yes at 18 i wanted to be a you know, get my degree in speech communication, which, which is what I got my degree in, which is basically a BS and BSing. Uh, by the way, it turned out to work work out pretty well for me. Uh, but but how many know what they're going to do, right? Um, what if there was more apprenticeships? What if there was a work ba base? What if a college created work based learning apprenticeships before? What if there was a a fifth year, but your first year was an apprenticeship, so that you could figure out what you wanted to do if you, you, you went to three or four different businesses over the year and, you know, it went to a business yeah. or you went to a electrician or you went, you know, I mean, you just think about what could be done in that context that to marry work-based learning and, and non-work-based learning. And there's yeah, a lot there. Exactly. Yeah. I think there's a lot that can be done, you know, around internships, more, you know, even formal work-based learning opportunities, looking at the co-op model, like, uh, Drexel and Northeastern and others use, which are, you know, does have that kind of five-year model that you mentioned. Because um, I found just my own personal experience, like between the internships that I had during college and a part-time job I had um, at a law firm really helped me, you know, among anything, like decide what I didn't want to do, right? So it helped me For sure. you know, rule out some of those um, <laughs> ideas that I had at like, 19 and 20. So I think it can really, it's, um, and now I think with different tech platforms that uh, make it possible to have, you know, remote project-based learning, virtual internships, I think how we start to deploy these opportunities equitably and at scale, I think is like the next uh, frontier, so to speak, because I think, you know, without having those experiences, it makes just the navigation process all that more challenging. Hmm. Bill, over to you before I give Marie the final two. Okay. 
Uh, I want to go back for a minute to your talking about um, your uh, survey and people talking about the risk of various pathways. Um, I'd be interested to get your take on how much of that risk um, is really protectionism. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I see it and uh, having offered lots of certificates in my time, uh, a lot of it was, well, well, no, that, 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 that's not good for us. Well, it's not good for your business model. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I think that's a big part of it. And on the employer's side, what was really interesting was uh, when we interviewed the C-suite folks, there was you know a great deal of openness. But when you got down more to kind of the hiring managers or the HR departments, that openness really started to close up. So I do think it's um, yeah protectionists like you're asking me to do something I've never done before. You know that's not how we do things here. Um, I think there's a lot of kind of mind shift and narrative change that has to happen both on the supply and the demand side. Like my daughter is now at a very um, traditional liberal arts university. And when we dropped her off and the Dean was speaking and said, you know, we know exactly what employers want. I was like, yeah, I'm not too sure that you do, but. <laughs> you said that to the wrong person. So, what did you, you do? Know, laugh I, or cry? <laughs> laugh yeah. in, because it was funny or cry with disappointment? What did you do? That's right. I think I laughed and said, oh boy, I really don't think that's true. Um, but I think it just all points to how we're at um, just such a fundamental like transition moment, I feel, for, for higher ed um, and that the winds, you know, are really blowing in, in a new direction. And one is kind of where we uh, said at the beginning, like, I just don't see us like turning back from. And so I think, you know, there are places where traditional higher ed are, is always going to have a role and is always going to be um, aspired to. But I think that as a nation, we have to really start changing the way we talk and we think about other high quality options and how do we help um, individuals like get the information that they need to make informed choices about their future. So, uh, Maria, what do you, we like to end our episodes with the same two questions to every guest. And number one, what did not we, did, blah, 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 blah. this is a professional podcaster. <laughs> what did we not cover about Jobs for the Future that you'd like to say? Anything coming up, events, anywhere you're going, speaking, blogs, anything at all that you want to plug uh, to talk about your organization? And then number two, what do you see as the future of higher ed? And let me get everybody tuned up. Let me wake up, Bill. Attention. Okay, you could go now. <laughs> Great. Uh, two things about JFF. One is that we have an annual conference every June called Horizons. And so I encourage everyone to attend uh, this year, June, well, June 2023, it'll be in New Orleans. June 2024 will be in Washington, D.C. And it's a great really kind of big tent approach to the learning to work ecosystem with leaders coming from kind of all different vantage points uh, to gather around this topic of the future of education and work. The other is that we have a growing um, employer mobilization team. So we talked a bit about um, corporate learning programs, but we really believe at JFF that really changing corporate behavior, investments, you know, corporate policies is really going to be a key lever in getting 
you know, the results that we want to see as an organization. So I would just uh, encourage folks to take a look at our impact employer framework and other pieces that that group um, is putting out. And then the future of higher ed, like I often um, think about this in, in terms of my two daughters who are nine years apart in age. As I said, I have one at a very traditional liberal arts uh, college. Um, my other daughter is in fourth grade, so she is nine years old. And I often say that I think by the time my nine-year-old um, is 18, that we will be seeing a very, hopefully <laughs> seeing a very different approach to what comes after high school and how we go about building those pathways, how we go about providing the information that's needed, um, how we go about like really embedding, you know, work-based learning and career awareness kind of in those high school years. So that's my, my hope is that this next decade really flips us over into you know, a new paradigm and a new way that we think about providing the education and skills that are needed to thrive um, in the economy of today and tomorrow. Mm. Lots of good fodder in there for the Ed Up Insights podcast. I think, Bill, there's a lot of concepts that Maria went over that, uh, that I know you'd like to tackle. Well, I, I, I intend to uh, to steal a lot of her material and put it in my podcasts. Absolutely. Yeah, there you go, Maria. That's that's how we do it here at the anyway, End of Experience. <laughs> but I'll give you credit. Yeah, we'll I give you credit, but we'll steal all your ideas forever. That's right. No, I have an upcoming episode where I'm talking about where people should go to take a peek at uh, the, the central issues uh, surrounding higher education today. And certainly I'm going to point to uh, the JFF and the, and the good work that you're doing, because I think it's a, a great place for people to get a, uh, a grasp of the, you know, the, the essential areas of information going forward. So thank you very much. Yeah. Well, Maria. Great to be here. That concludes the broadcast for today. Of course, I want to <laughs> thank my co-host first, he, what did I say once? I said, he's, um, he, he said, he, I was just great and terrific and the smartest guy you ever met. Uh, let's try try again. No, I said, I think you got uh, pep in your step and you like limoncello, maybe something like that. Anyway, he's Dr. Bill Pepicello. Bill, thanks for coming on again. Always appreciate you. My pleasure. Our guest uh, today, of course, uh, she's amazing. Uh, if, if you hear her, if she comes in to visit your college, uh, and you're a member of the institution, don't indicate that you know what employers uh, want more than she does. That's a bad move. For, it's a bad recruiting move. Know who's in front of you, ladies and gentlemen. She's Maria Flynn. She's president and CEO of Jobs for the Future. Maria, did you have a good EdUp experience today? I had a great EdUp experience. So thank you for having me. It's great to talk with you both. Ladies and gentlemen, you've just EdUped. The purpose of education is to help learners discover their aptitudes and interests, develop their skills, and then deploy that knowledge to benefit themselves and others. The Charles Koch Foundation, a nonprofit grant-making organization, works with leaders in education to remove barriers that stand in the way of all learners reaching their potential. They support individualized and flexible models that improve access and quality for millions of Americans. They also support apprenticeship and upskilling programs that connect learners to in-demand jobs that match their skills and interests. The foundation is looking for new partners to challenge the status quo and transform the post-secondary education system. Learn more about their partnership opportunities and apply for a grant at ckf.org.
You can also find them on Twitter at at C. Koch Foundation and LinkedIn by searching Charles Koch Foundation.